Hello, and welcome to this episode of My Summer in Alaska. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you a gist of what my Economy of Rural Alaska course was like. This was actually one of the classes that piqued my interest originally in UAF. This is such a fascinating profile of economy and how it plays out in people's lives. I knew nothing about rural Alaskan communities before I came here, and I think... This was an amazing crash course into how people sustain themselves, culture, and lifestyle of rural communities. On this episode, I'm very excited. I have a special trip planned. I'm going on a road trip to a rural Alaskan community called Ninana. To start the day off, I had an interview with the professor for my Economy of Rural Alaska course. My name is Noelle Isles. Um, I am teaching the economy of rural Alaska. Really, my goal is to provide a high-level overview of a bunch of different topics instead of really drilling into one topic. Like, I believe we spend about two weeks on subsistence, but you could spend an entire semester on subsistence hunting and fishing and its effect on the economy of rural Alaska. I think one of my favorite topics that we covered was definitely subsistence living because it's just so different from how, like, I grew up and how I know the world to be. So can you define that for people that are not familiar with Alaska and are not familiar with what that is? You could also call it subsistence activities. Hunting, fishing, berry picking includes preserving meat and fish. It's really a huge part of Alaska native cultures, um, as well as the sharing of those subsistence food. And like both the subsistence activities themselves and the sharing among families and friends also have huge substantial economic value that isn't always realized, is not always realized. Um, and it doesn't only refer to like hunting and fishing and like uh, edible subsistence goods. It also can refer to non-subsistence goods, trading of resources, clothing, fuel. It really kind of boils down to an informal economy and it's not usually captured in a lot of statistics in remote places like families and neighbors will trade services they'll share goods or make cash payments um, but it's not something that is can is reported or it can be even reportable to the IRS um, so it's usually it's all things that are kind of outside uh, the standard market economy and that's really something that makes uh, the economy of rural Alaska super unique on that note what are some of the differences between non-rural economies and rural economies. What rural economies have what we call um, a mixed economy where a portion of the economy is cash-based. There are cash-based paying jobs, but also there's a portion um, that's subsistence-based because rural economies generally have a really high unemployment and poverty rate. So there are, they do rely on both cash-paying jobs and subsistence jobs um, in order to make their livelihoods work. One of the one of the big ways that the economy has changed in the last 100 years is something that is called out-migration. And there is a large number of kind of younger, the younger population of individuals that are living in these rural Alaska economies that are leaving, leaving their communities um, and moving to more urban centers such as Anchorage, such as Fairbanks. And a lot of reasons are due to, I can't find a job. There's a lot of poverty. There's nowhere for me to work. There's no health, there's no health care. Um, I have a lot of family that lives there, et cetera. So that's a big thing. 
Um, and that does affect subsistence because you have to have a fairly large workforce in order to make subsistence successful. Um, you have to have a lot of resources that people, that families, generally families will pull together um, and do it. But if you have a huge majority of your young population leaving rural Alaska for urban centers, um, you're really losing a huge portion of your workforce. Why is it an important course to teach and for students to learn? It is really important for um, students and educators and um, those individuals in academia to understand that are talking about Alaska specifically. Um, it's really important for them to have a deep understanding of rural communities and how they operate because there have been um, so many efforts to improve the remote rural Alaska economy through a bunch of different measures, um, but there's a lot that we still don't know about it. And standard economic measures don't necessarily capture all of the activity in a rural Alaska economy. I'm talking kind of specifically about general macroeconomic measures of how an economy is performing. Those things don't work because there's a lack of data and a lack of availability of data and difficulties even getting data in the first place. So yeah, standard economic measures don't necessarily capture everything. Um, they don't capture subsistence. They don't capture sharing um, reciprocity of resources between families and members of a rural Alaska community and other non-cash trading. Most of these kinds of data don't exist. So it's important because as we continue to evolve and statistics get better and data gets better, um, we need to understand how these economies operate so that we can understand how to help them better. What are some of the challenges and benefits of, of rural living? Probably one of the challenges I've already, uh, already kind of touched on is unemployment. Um, and like I said, that an overwhelming majority of the the one of the most one of the most valuable parts of rural Alaska is its natural resources, and a lot of um, large oil companies aren't um, employing rural Alaskans or individuals living in rural Alaska communities, or rural Alaskans or individuals living in the communities don't necessarily want to work for them. So a lot of those jobs are going to people out of state or people in larger urban centers in Anchorage. Um, so money essentially is constantly leaking out of all of these regional economies and households end up spending money on goods and services that are produced outside of the rural Alaska economy that they can't or won't buy locally. Um, and it is expensive to create jobs in rural Alaska. So um, one of the biggest challenges are for individuals that maybe are wanting to continue uh, living in their community, their home where they were born, but can't find a job, can't um, achieve the quality of life that they would like to have um, is probably one of the biggest challenges. It ends up kind of creating the cycle of discouraged workers um, and it ends up people will just completely withdraw from the workforce because they can't find a job or again are forced to migrate to urban centers. There needs to be more data so that we can develop kind of more holistic measures of community welfare in remote rural Alaska to kind of help include cultural and traditional dimensions of the economy as well. Thanks to Noel. Today, I'm very excited because I am traveling to a rural Alaskan community called Ninana, people that are not from Alaska. This is something I learned. A lot of rural communities in Alaska are not on the road system, meaning you cannot drive to get there. They are accessed by small planes, and Ninana, which is the place I'm going to now, is one of 
few that are on the road system. So I got in my car and traveled an hour south to the village of Ninana, where I sat down with the chief of the village and a tribal administrator to talk about economics and life in Ninana. My name's Jessica Shaw, and gosh, I think my relation to Ninana is currently I'm the tribal administrator for the Ninana Native Council. I'm a tribal member from Ninilchik, though. I married a local. My husband is from here. He grew up here and we have our son, so we are raising our family here. But I was born and raised early on in Fairbanks. My name is Tim McManus. Um, I'm from Ninana. I moved up, up here in Fairbanks, but I was raised here in Ninana by my grandma until I was five. And I moved back here when I was 11. Been here ever since. Um, raised up the traditional lifestyle of hunting, fishing, trapping. Got a lot of interest in dance and music, our native ways. Um, just been doing a lot of potlatches through the years. Um, when you do potlatches, you you start off just chopping wood and watching. But as the years go by and the more experience you get, you you get thrown in different roles, such as, you know, one of the sacred things that we got is cutting up the meat, moose meat and stuff. So. When they gave me a moose head the first time, I just felt so happy. I was able to, they trusted me enough to dice up a, you know, skin a moose head. So I know some people wouldn't take that very rewarding, but I do. Um, so through the years, I, I've been around and um, ended up the chief here five years ago. It's going on my sixth year as the chief in Nana. What is life like here in Ninana? Life is good in Ninana. Ninana is a beautiful place. It's the best of both worlds in terms of like a rural lifestyle and access to rural activities. But it's an hour from like an international airport. So we have access to things. But I would say, you know, the village, we have a lot of the same issues as off the road we have a lot of the same challenges just right here in Ninana, an hour from Fairbanks. Well, out of 365 days out of the year, um, there don't seem to be a, a day that repeats itself around here, that's for sure. In the summertime, it really booms here. There's lots of people in and out. There's so many things going on here in the summertime. Um, Ninana's always been here on the river. We're river people. The Alaska Highway came to us. The Alaska Railroad came to us. We didn't come to them. So everything that's modern, out of the modern technology and world and stuff came to us. Nina's been here for as long as people remember. After the pandemic in 1920, there were seven villages that on the outskirts of Nina. A lot of tribes came together here in Nina and once they quit going, living their um, lifestyles of, of spring camp, summer camp, fall camp. Can you describe what, what those are? In springtime, um, people would go out for go muskrat hunting, and then they'd have a camp where they'd catch fish so they'd, they'd um, and go geese hunting. So it was a seasonal place. When the game was there, that's where they would go. Um, summertime was fish camp where they'd put up as much fish as they could for the winter times. And then in the fall time, they'd go out to their hunting area where they get their big games. So there's 
basically three different camps that people used to go to. When I was growing up young, I remember getting taken out to some of these places in that in that style. But springtime, we'd go out for a week and stay at spring camp and get ducks and geese and muskrats. Um, since the river and stuff was flowing again, there was some beaver in there. We'd get a beaver or two, um, smoke them up. So, you know, fresh meat is fresh meat. And then summertime, I was always at fish camp with my grandma and grandpa. It's my best memories when I was growing up. Can you talk a little bit about what Ninana is like in a modern context? So maybe the integration of modern practices and traditional practices? Local families um, walking in two worlds. Like we have people that work, you know, like that typical full-time, like, western job you know with benefits and trying to make money and provide that way but you see families also still going out on the river and going and practicing the traditional you know culture getting food and preserving food and you know so i think there's a handful of people that are doing you know both of those things and just trying to keep traditions going i had an uncle Frank Jacob, and he tell me stories that on the river, there's there's families that when the steam wheelers go by, that they'd have a camp there where they'd get wood. They'd sell a cord of wood for $7, and they'd use their hand tools. They'd have an ax and a saw. And they'd have to have the wood cut up in blocks and down there by the bank. So the steam wheeler would just come and load up and give the family $7. <clears throat> He was raised by his mom. His dad died at an early age. So he was raised by his mom, and, and I remember one time he saying that we did three cords of wood in one week, just me and my mom, just by hand. You know, she was 70 years old, and he was 20 or something. So just to be, to have that toughness, and, and you know, that was part of the will of living then. Imagine getting a cord of wood by using an ax and a, hands on me. You don't hear that no more. People be like, why would you do that? Do either of you have any final thoughts? I think here in Ninana, you can kind of see some of our history, like how we got here through specifically the transportation infrastructure things that have happened. We've got the confluence of the Ninana River and the Tanana River right out here. And then like the chief said, you know, the railroad came, the highway came, these bridges. And I think economically, like, that's those are things that had the biggest impact. Those things created jobs. Those things created booms, economic booms, which you see in Alaska, like that boom and bust pattern. I think that absolutely the history of Ninana has that. Thanks so much to the chief and to Jessica. It's been a long day, a lot of beautiful sights. I walked around town a little bit. Ninana's on the river, so I walked by the river. It's so beautiful here, but it's time to head back. After a long road trip, nothing better than ending the day with ice cream from Fairbanks' most iconic ice cream place, Hot Licks. So I invited my friend Sam from archeology span to join me. This is Sam. My name's Samuel Steele. I, uh, I'm originally from Austin, Texas, and my uh, home institution is the University of Montana. 
and we are currently at Hot Licks, which is, I'm assuming is Fairbanks' premier ice cream place. You forgot? No, I got a sundae, a, a strawberry sundae with hot fudge. What are some of the interesting experiences you've had here? Well, um, I guess I'd, I, <laughs> it's going to sound silly, but I'd never been to a Fred Meyer. No, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. yeah, what is a Fred Meyer? Yeah, no, what just, is a Fred Meyer, exactly? Guy had never seen a reindeer before I came to Fairbanks, so that was pretty cool when I went to the animal research station. And I'm trying to think. The riverboat was real fun the other week. We'd never, I'd never ridden on anything like that. I think, I guess one thing that was interesting is um, when we got to the site the first day and there were just like moose droppings everywhere. And that was pretty neat to think like, oh, cool. We might just be working out here with bunches of different animals that, you know, you don't see most other places in the country, you know, like um, definitely moose and um, links and stuff that you don't get in other parts of the country out here, which is really neat. I mean, I like archaeology because it's outdoors. <laughs> I don't want to be cubed up in an office all day, so um, I, I want to work outdoors, and I've always had that kind of stuff interesting. I mean, I was always interested in paleontology as a kid, but I hate geology, and I really like history. Yeah. So I like the I really like the discovery aspect of it, like finding things is really, really neat for the first time. Like something could be the first person that's touched in like hundreds of years, you know, if not thousands for some of the archaeology that you could be doing. Just like trying to figure out what I want to do directly. I think this has really helped knock out some of, at least get down the path of this figuring program? out. Yeah, this program, just because it's like my first chance to really do hands-on archaeology. So it, it's it's helped me decide like what I, like helped me think about more what I'd like to, um, what I'd like to uh, study in grad school, um, what I'd like to go into. And um, I mean, Dr. Cram's been a great help for all that. He's really, um, insightful with his grad school knowledge mm -hmm. finishing out my last year of undergrads a little bit weird it's like oh now you're a real adult you gotta go out in the real world so thank you so much for spending the day with me thanks for listening to this episode of my summer in alaska this podcast is presented by the university of alaska fairbanks a special thanks to producer marmion grimes and samara Tabor. Thank you to everyone at UAF. For more information on the classes that I took, you can check out uaf.edu.